Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Ray DeLeon, a reporter working at the Center for the Investigative Reporting, discovers a surprising number of legal cases nationwide that involve women reporting sexual assault to the police, only to be accused of fabricating their allegations. These women are then charged with crimes and sometimes facing many years in prison. Victim suspect follows DeLeon as she gathers firsthand accounts from numerous young women and their families and interviews with police and legal experts. The film is called Victim Suspect. It will be premiering on Netflix on Tuesday, May 23rd. So be looking for this terrific documentary film. And we're joined today by the director of Victim Suspect, Nancy Schwartzman. Nancy Schwartzman, welcome back to Film School Radio. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for your work here. It is illuminating. It is compelling. It is intimate. I think you found a wonderful way into the story through the work of Ray DeLeon, the reporter for uh, the Center for Investigative Reporting. Uh, how did you get onto this story? What was it that kind of got you involved in this project? Well, I was lucky to be found by Ray and her editor, Amanda, at the Center for Investigative Reporting. They approached me not long after Roll Red Roll. I think Roll Red Roll had premiered at Tribeca and it had done its sort of theatrical run and probably hit PBS and Netflix. So they had seen that film. They knew that I think what jumped out for them, I can't speak to them fully, but sort of like that it was sensitive and looked at systemic kind of like holistic reasons why stuff like this is happening and had like a trauma-informed approach to the topic. So I met Ray, we had a phone call and then we met in person and started digging into some of the police tape. And I was like, like, oh my God, I cannot believe we have access to this. I can't believe we get to use it in a film. Um, to me, it still kind of felt like magic, like what journalists can do with FOIAs. And it's our rights as U.S. citizens in many, many states to petition to see records from court cases. That's not the case in other countries, right? So journalists have all these tricks and tools for like accessing public records. So it felt really exciting for me both to be able to have that stuff to play with and that footage to really analyze and look at, and also to be able to track the trials and tribulations of a journalist, you know, and yeah. there's a way that it mirrors documentary filmmaking, trying to chase down a source or, you know, desperate to get a phone call or an answer and the door slams at you. And like, you know, being able to track Ray in that process was so, it just gave me insight into like our pain, but at least I got to document her pain and make it part of the story. Yeah. Just as an aside, I want to recommend to people who are listening to our conversation, Roll Red Roll, because it. I still remember it, and that came out when? To, how long yeah. ago did Roll? It was three uh, or four that, years ago? Yeah, yeah, it was on It was on platforms on in 2019. Yeah. Okay, and just what an impact it had, because it is, in, in many ways, you're the same subject matter of sexual assault, sexual rape. And and how how it ends up being played out in in public, how it gets played out in within law enforcement. There's there's a lot here that uh, 
it's a it's a just if people are listening, check out uh, Roll Red Roll, and this one as well. Uh, so many things I learned, and what I didn't realize. I mean, I, I had a sense that police have a lot of latitude in in, in their interrogations of people, but I didn't really re- think of it in terms of this kind of carte blanche to essentially say anything that came to their mind, and and, and with an agenda, not just that they just suddenly pull random things out of the air. There's an agenda here. There has to be right. Let's talk a little bit. I mean, I, I, we're going to get into these specific cases, I, I, but I just the, the latitude of the police department in what they can say to uh, someone who they're interrogating is um, it's alarming. Uh, yeah. Most countries in the world um, have laws against that. Um, U.S. is one of the few countries that allow law enforcement to lie to their citizens. And when you think about it, we are citizens that pay taxes, that pay to fund police departments, and then they have this. Um, impunity over us, right, where they can use deceptive evidence or lie to us. And that's that's pretty barbaric, right? Like most countries in the world not allow this because it sets up a very, very lopsided power dynamic. It's completely manipulative. And, you know, we just we need to remember that we pay taxes that pay their salaries. And we do have we have to figure out what our tools of autonomy are to make this system not, you know, working against us as citizens. And I think lying is just needs to be eradicated. Well, and it particularly is apropos of this conversation in lieu of young, vulnerable women coming in after a traumatic experience mm-hmm. and then having to face, and this is where we can bring in some of the people in the film, Emily. Uh, Megan and others who are we talk about in the film that under the circum I mean it would be horrific enough if it were they were just being brought in off the street for jaywalking or something but this is these are traumatic events in these women's lives let's talk a little bit about if you want to talk about Megan or or Emma or whoever yeah I mean I think to the point of what should law enforcement be doing we have Emma who is you know a few days after an assault that she reported um, that she has videotape of one of the perpetrators on her phone, right? And I think there's such a cultural and law enforcement focus on the victims, right? What were you doing? Of course, you have to get a sort of side of the story. And Emma says, I understood. He wanted to know, you know, the TikTok of like where I was and what time and just to to map out what happened. But but then to spend time really drilling in on did she drink? Was she drinking underage? Did she fight him off? That's a lot of wasted time, right? Because the investigation could be, wow, let me see your phone. Okay, we've got video of this person. Who are your friends that were with you that night? Let's go back to that place because these two young men were working together in consort. That's easy to find two guys. Have they done this before? Have they, you know, do they hang out here? They could have found them quickly and easily. When we think about Megan Rondini, they keep her in the interrogation room for three hours, right? She's sick from the night before. You can see it in the video. She's needs water. She probably needs food. She probably needs a shower. Like she's really not in a good place when they do interview her alleged perpetrator, it's for 18 minutes. This is a man, if we wanted to, instead of questioning, you know, how much you drank and do you remember this piece, 
looking at the fact that this is a 36 year old man who is on record on video very often at a bar full of 20 year old girls. I mean, he's hanging out the end of the bar and he's a good 15 years older than all of the patrons in that bar. And you see footage of him following Megan out of the bar, right? So did you talk to the bartender about this guy? Have you talked to other women? Yes. You know, it's like, come on, these are people, what we do know about sexual assault and what law enforcement should know is that most perpetrators are repeat or serial perpetrators. So they're going to have a pattern. There's probably going to be other people who can testify. Oh yeah. I always see that guy hanging out late, following the drunk girl out of the bar. Right. It's like, where are those investigative tactics where they need to be, which is on perpetrator behavior? Can we get some witnesses? You know, that kind of thing versus, oh, you know, there's an inconsistent thing that you said in your story that's actually not that inconsistent. Or, oh, you're 20 and you have a fake ID and you had five beers. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that 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 element of the shoddy, the the um barely there investigation into the the person accused of sexual assault is yeah. that's yeah. revelatory in this film the dedication of ray de leon in following up on this story this is according to the film this is like her introduction into the world of investigative reporting she was a reporter uh in college and she aspired to be an investigative reporter and this is kind of the thread you picked up on with her and what a remarkable story and what a remarkable person she is as she moves through this story and how she uncovers so much of this stuff. The point I was going to make was the lack of investigation into the cameras, the footage in 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 all of these cases that could have proven decisive in terms of determining what had happened. Again, it's shoddy police work, but but is it? <laughs> I mean, I think the question in the film is, is this really shoddy police work or is this, I, we don't want to know what? You know, it seems to be really a combination of factors, certainly poor police work, um, certainly um, internalized bias against victims, um, internalized, you know, bad statistics that women make it up, you know, far more than they actually do really maybe a sense of like, these are hard cases to really work. And I'd want to maybe get it off my desk. So some of, you know, some of the commentary in the film is sort of alluding to wanting to push it off the desk, having really, really outdated rape myths as beliefs and yeah, just not wanting to work the case. Can I just say something that maybe this is the quiet part out loud? Mm -hmm. It's the power dynamic. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, are we talking, aren't we talking a, a, a little bit about who has the power, who has, who's, who are we, who do we want to believe as opposed to who should we believe? Right. right? And then certainly in, in Tuscaloosa, you, you really see that, you know, it's a yeah. very powerful department. It's a very powerful school. Um, and one of the perpetrators is a very powerful person. So you definitely see those kinds of power dynamics of who is in charge and Often, if the if the victims aren't solely young, they are also possibly marginalized in a different way, or just more, um, you know, from a class perspective, you know, on the weaker side of things. So yeah. for sure, it, it well, kind of I'm talking more in a big picture of the dynamic yeah. in society where women and men are 
if there's something of a situation where where there was a power dynamic who yeah. needs to be believed as opposed to yeah. as i said this is i think in many ways we're sexual assault there's so many things about this uh control over women's bodies i mean there's just there's so much he, there's so much that you can can see in in what we see in victim suspect uh, I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Nancy Schwartzman. She is the director of Victim Suspect. And Victim Suspect will be premiering on Netflix on Tuesday, May 23rd. So be looking for it. In your time with Ray DeLeon, the reporter from the Center for Investigative Reporting, over the course of documenting this story, is there been any more movement? We see a part of the film in which there is a seminar for investigative um, police who are looking into sexual crimes. Are we seeing any kind of movement? Because this is a pretty damning indictment of our police system. And it happens in Tulsa, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It happens in other parts of the country as well. This is I don't think this is anything that's an isolated part of any part of the country or region. This feels systemic. Yes. Is there any reason over after going through this process, after putting this film together, do you feel like, is it always going to take a, a Ray DeLeon in order to find out these things? Or is, what do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, really raising the question, why is a reporter doing the work that the police should have done? Mm -hmm. um, Ray conducts more thorough investigations of each of these cases, for the most part, than law enforcement in multiple cities and states across the country. And why is that happening? Is that because they simply do not care? Um, what we are really hoping to do when we release this film far and wide on Tuesday, May 23rd, is, is work to get it into police stations across the country. There's a lot of interest, actually, um, from there's some self-selecting law enforcement that want to investigate sex crimes, that want to support victims, right? So they want to use this film as a tool. And we want to make sure that's possible. We are working to get this film in front of the Department of Justice, um, people in Congress, um, to really think about what are ways that if this is going on in police departments, and there's some certain hot departments where you see, whoa, five arrests of victims in three years, Tuscaloosa, double-double, you know, it's like, okay, how do we put heat on those departments? And the Department of Justice could also possibly put out that if your department is relying on rape myths or recantation as the sole reason to discount a victim and prosecute them, um, then your funding or federal funding could be um, in jeopardy, right? So that's one way to sort of hit them um, on doing that. So I think really the first step is raising awareness and getting it far and wide, both with law enforcement agencies as an opportunity, as a playbook of like what not to do. And, you know, I was skeptical, um, truly like, okay, is this training, you know, really the solution, but watching the faces of some of those law enforcement officers, um, when they were watching some of the way, um, Emma was treated or another case in Kansas, they were horrified and shocked. And to be clear, you know, it's not just Alabama. It's very easy to say, oh, that just goes on in Alabama. Oh, no, no. Connecticut, it's happening all over Connecticut. It's happening in Kansas. It's happening in California. It's happening in Indiana. It's happening in Florida. So it really is happening everywhere. And no city or department is immune to that behavior. So it's more, you know, first step always is like, what, 
what to look out for. What is a recantation? Wait a minute. This isn't how we should question a victim. We should thoroughly investigate the assault before we change our mind in the middle and drop it and then just prosecute the victim. You know what I mean? It's like none of those cases were worked fully at all. They were pivoted in the middle and then the victim was targeted. So a lot of really critical pieces of information were obviously not followed up on. And you see that in the cases. I worked in government for a period of time and Mm -hmm. a lot of things in government have protocol. Mm-hmm. protocol that's it yeah there's a protocol for something like this and a yeah. police department would have to explain why they didn't follow protocol right yeah yeah but that seems like a fairly basic thing here's here i mean it, i know implementations. that that would be amazing if it were the military right so yeah. um it's just that police departments are little fiefdoms in themselves and they have different jurisdictions and counties and cities and mayors and DAs, like everything. If it were the army, you could set that protocol at the top, make it go top down. So one step is to really like there, there is some really good language around this for the international association of chiefs of police, which are pretty great. Like if you look at the people who are involved in IACP, but they don't have any muscle, right? It's sort of like we, so we suggest this. Um, so it's really about finding how to, you know, hold people accountable if that protocol isn't met. Yeah. So it's a little, um, it's a little tricky. It's not. Yeah, I understand. I, no, I, I, yeah. I, I know, yeah. I know that to be the case. They do there. Everybody has their own little way of doing things and that's fine to a, to a degree. Yeah. But there's certain, should be a certain basic level yeah. of investigation into the person who's at least been accused of sexual assault and rape. Um, one last thing about all that um, that I think would be helpful would be rape kits, right? What There's a whole scandal. There's a whole thing yeah. around the backlog of rape kits, rape investigations. Yeah. And I mean, this is, again, this is part of the continuum of what we see in victim suspect. We see this is part of it. Rape kits, the, the lack of them, the lack of investigation into with even with evidence of the of rape is another point. Yeah. I mean, we have to be careful there too, because so many of them just sit on shelves and are not investigated and mm-hmm. like wanting to point out that like, you know, Emma Mannion went in to get, she went to the nurse and in the middle of her exam, law enforcement came in the door. I mean, that's insane. That yeah. that in itself is its own film. Like mm-hmm. that level of like being in a hospital where you're supposed to be getting medical care and have law enforcement come in. And that was the beginning of the road that led her to jail. <laughs> you know, that's so problematic, right? Like the systemic, like all these things that we think are going to help are actually quite fraught as well. Yeah. So, well, yeah. if you were a victim of sexual assault, rape, you're, that's incredibly traumatic. That's, in, that's a trauma unto itself. And then to be questioned by law enforcement, I don't know who I would be traumatized by just being questioned by law enforcement. That's a traumatic event. Yeah. I mean, it could be for the benefit of the person who's a victim who gets who they find justice through that process. But it's scary as hell. Yeah. And and so, yeah, there's just so many things. This film, Victim Suspect, will be available on the 23rd through Netflix. It will infuriate you. If it doesn't, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you because it because these are young women just trying to figure things out out on their own for the first time. It, many of them in this in, in these circumstances, it, and the, the, to be abused more than once is in this 
in this whole to watch them abused again in the in this process is infuriating and um nancy schwartzman thank you thank you for the film oh thank you thanks for um highlighting the film and we hope you know if you watch you find us on social media victim suspect and share your thoughts and just know that you know, we have the power to understand what's going on in our police departments and Los Angeles, you know, there's a lot of amazing work um, citizens are doing to hold police accountable as much as possible. And just keep in, in mind that this is going on for victims and we really need to, you know, shift the narrative about believing survivors and yeah. letting people know that, you know, that the police can lie to you and how incredibly, you know, dangerous that is to walk in to report. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. The film again is called Victim Suspect. We've been speaking with Nancy Schwartzman. And also, it's worth your time and effort to find Roll Red Roll, another wonderful documentary film. Uh, Nancy Schwartzman, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Roll Red Roll is on Amazon Prime, so it's not too hard to find. <laughs> but thank you. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music